0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Good day. Welcome to, new, welcome to New Books and Films, a podcast channel New Books Network. My name is Dr. Charles Cotillo, the Royal Historic Side. I'm a host on the channel. And today we are pleased and indeed honored to have with us Master Historian Professor Jeremy Black. Professor Black is Professor Emeritus in the Department of History at Exeter University, He is, without a doubt, one of the most prolific historians writing in the Anglophone world today, and today we are discussing the film Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Joaquin Phoenix. Welcome, Professor Black.
1: Hello.
0: Professor, what was your response to the film? How would you rate the film, etc.?
1: Well, I've seen the film in the cinema, and I saw it soon after it came out, (laughs) and I think, first of all, it's an interesting film, and it's worth watching for people who like cinema and like film. As an accurate account, it's rather flawed, and I'd like to talk a bit about that. But I'd also like, after that, to discuss the question what level of accuracy should we um, assume in films. Let me, though, preface my remarks by referring to Ridley Scott's um, response to criticism, which was to say that what the historians know, they weren't there, which is a rather facile remark. I mean, you might as well, after you doing that, have Pearl Harbor, a film on Pearl Harbor showing the Chinese attacking in 1940. I mean, it, it, it's a preposterous assumption. If what he means to say is that there can be differences of opinion, that's another matter. Now, if we if we turn to his Napoleon. There are several uh, items of it that I think are good, several aspects of it that are good, and I think there are others that are much less good. So let me just start off uh, with the good. Uh, First of all, I think Vanessa Kirby is a very good Josephine. I think she plays uh, the role in a very interesting fashion. She matures in it and changes as as an actress in a way that Joachim Phoenix doesn't really change as Napoleon. I mean, Joachim Phoenix is shown from 1793, witnessing the uh, execution of Marie Antoinette, which incidentally he didn't do, until 1821, when he dies in uh, St. Helena. And in fact, it's shown unchanging, which of course is not the case. But Vanessa Kirby is the best of the actors in the film and deserves praise. Second of all, um, there is some very good Shooting of interior scenes in which candlelight is prominent, and the dark and shadows and lighting are used very well. Both that is deserves praise. And thirdly, the some of the as it were more shall we say stately scenes, uh, for example, the coronation of Napoleon, um, it, uh, which is shot in in fact in Lincoln Cathedral, which you know nothing too terrible about that, um, are done well. They actually have uh, uh, an actor playing David, the painter David, there, and there is a painterly quality to them, and I think those are done well and deserve praise. I'm afraid to say I cannot say the same for the portrayal of um, Napoleon himself, nor for the actual political details of the film. There are there are both specific mistakes i mean you know napoleon and wellington meeting in torbay which of course they didn't do and um the two men didn't meet and napoleon didn't land or more seriously the suggestion that um napoleon's fall in 1814 uh, reflected his general's anger um with his uh, failure in, in in russia in 1812 which completely leaves out everything happening in 1813 and 1814. So there are general mistakes. There are also the mistakes of omission. So I'm not, as you know, a particular fan of Napoleon's, but it seems rather bizarre to have a film about Napoleon, which doesn't at least draw some attention to the fact that he did at least seek a positive reforming stance within France and indeed within French-occupied Europe in terms of a improvement in the administration of law, the conduct of the economy, transport and a number of other uh, facets. And those aren't there at all. So both in what is shown and in what is left out, there are repeated errors. And I think those are worthy of comment. Is it still an enjoyable film? Yes, it is. I found it interesting. Is it accurate? Well, I'm afraid to say you probably shouldn't ask a historian who's written a book on strategy under Napoleon, and I probably was the only person in the theater who, when it la- ended, and this was unusual for me, was actually laughing. I, mean, I just thought there were so many mistakes, and they were so funny. Um, uh, but, you know, I think for those people who don't know much about it, it may well be a satisfactory film. Why did you see the film? Um, I saw the film because I thought I would be asked about it and also because in my book on the waterloo i had discussed um the film history of waterloo including the great abel gans's 17 uh, real epic napoleon of 1927 which um was praised critically and you know as well as other films such as the iron duke or waterloo itself 1970 um and i thought well i ought to then see how that is taken on um in the new film, and of course in the new film, it, it, it's completely absurd. Um, the uh, uh, Napoleon is shown, you know, rushing forward to engage in sort of combat with the Brits, when in fact he sat on his piles in the background uh, doing singularly little. Although it has to be said that in the 1970 film, uh, Waterloo, where he's played by Rob Steiger, they show, they very inaccurately shown show him resisting being dragged away from the battlefield, when well, in fact he was very um, expeditious in fleeing to avoid capture. Actually, um, did you see any of Ridley Scott's other films? I've seen two of his other films. I've seen Gladiator and I've seen Thelma and Louise. Um, <clears throat> Thelma and Louise, obviously, is a work of fiction completely. So, a good film. I mean, it obviously has an agenda. Um Gladiator is, as you know, it's a sort of much more obvious confection of fact and fiction. Um and um the depiction of the um the defeat of the Roman army in uh Germany at the outset is transposed into a, a different era. Um Gladiator, I mean, you know, um, I thought was not too terrible a film. It came within the long tradition of um, sort of, you know, the sand and sandals uh, tradition of Hollywood films about ancient Rome. Uh, there is a, a learned literature on its accuracy and inaccuracy, and I don't propose to say much about it. But in the case of Napoleon, where, as I've said, I had actually written, you know, re- you know archivally based sources, I can definitively tell you there is no shortage of mistakes there. Doesn't present it being an enjoyable film if what you want to see is visual spectacle. Although it also is worth bearing in mind that um, in the battle scenes, which have uh, uh, earned attention, as you probably are aware, there are errors and flaws in those as well. Of the previous films,
0: which had uh, Bonaparte as a major character... Uh, say, Bondarchuk's uh, War and Peace, or Waterloo, or for that matter, Gantz's um, film on Napoleon, which of them would you prefer?
1: Well, I think G- Gantz's Napoleon is a very interesting film. I mean, it's an impressionistic film. Um, it captures the the filmmaking of the 1920s, Um And, you know, I found it quite, uh, quite um, arresting. Um, The 1970 film is very interesting because they were able to deploy, I think I'm right in saying, about 20,000 members of the, uh, of the, um, you know, the Soviet army. Um, And um, that was actually really rather impressive, particularly the scenes of the cavalry attacking the squares it has a rather curious sort of anti-war message as it were at one point um which i'm not sure would have meant much to either napoleon or wellington but i think it's a good it's a good film war and peace the um again is good i mean there are they've attracted a number of good um coverages the problem is as i said scott was foolish enough to actually um argue that there was no such thing as accuracy once you say that you're putting yourself it as an open target for people to say well where's the difference between that and the line that would have been ta- that could be taken um when discussing things like the Patriot or Braveheart or you know other films that um, purport to be about history so one doesn't expect that the films should be accurate what one does expect is that they should willingly say, when there is some criticism, we're doing our best, we can only cover some themes in a period of time. And I think Scott lacked the uh, intelligence, certainly the humility, to make that kind of remark.
0: Did you, by chance, see the 1970s BBC production of War and Peace? How just yes. you? Uh,
1: Yes, I think that's good. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, all of the films of that period um, don't have the benefits that you now have with CGI. And with CGI, it's possible to do battle scenes in a uh, And also, one other thing, of course, we now have that although you could do aerial shots in um, that period, and there are aerial shots in the film waterloo i assume from a helicopter now they are very easy with the use of drones um i think what what i would say is that the bbc series war and peace made more of an effort at characterization which in a sense is not surprising because tolstoy makes uh an effort at characterization he's not just thinking about Great forces in history, though that is obviously one of his themes.
0: And how would you compare um, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, performance as uh, the protagonist with, say, Rod Steiger, or for that matter, uh, Albert Dudonnet?
1: Well, um, Phoenix, I put it like this he has a brooding presence. And he plays it as a brooding presence from start to finish, as it were. Um, And I think that's not a sufficiently varied characterization of a man who could be quicksilver, both in terms of his appeal and in terms of his ability to, you know, turn on a sixpence. I mean... You know napoleon has many faults but i think it's completely absurd to say that he is a hitler figure he had a more um intelligent more um more engaged with progressive thought of the period um he had a more interesting character he was a great conversationalist i mean none of this was true of hitler who was a boorish, boring, stupid man who wielded great power. Um, the um, I'm not sure that I would say that Phoenix brings out Napoleon's interest. I mean, when you have that scene where he goes to Egypt and looks at the mummy and puts his hat on the top of the, you know, the the tomb on uh, which the mummy is, I I, I don't think that captures. His actual interest in antiquity, the interest he showed on his seventeen ninety eight visit to the uh, conquering visit to Egypt, and also that he showed in despoiling much of Europe in order to accumulate interesting objects, which he clearly was fascinated by um, in paris. Um, so I'm not sure that I would say i'm you know I'm not saying this to criticize Phoenix, Phoenix presumably was playing the role uh, to which he was instructed by the director and which reflected the script. But it was actually a static role. There was also the odd aspect of it that they devoted a lot of attention, maybe disproportionately too much attention, to the relationships between uh, Josephine and Napoleon. In other words, for example, in 1799, Uh, Napoleon is shown returning to France, essentially because of the nature of his relationship with Josephine, and not uh, for the reasons he came back, uh, which were essentially political and military. Um, But what is confused about it is that uh, Josephine, of course, was older uh, than Napoleon, which incidentally affected her fertility at the time she was married to him. She had been fertile. Earlier and had children, um, and of course they actually put in an actress Vanessa Kirby, who is you know considerably younger than Phoenix. So I think that element of it didn't come across terribly well, um, and you know I'm not sure that they actually captured Napoleon's personality.
0: Ah, uh, so then in that case, you did not think as some people have commented that uh, Phoenix is a rather limited actor with a rather limited range and uh scott would been much
1: better off uh, getting someone else oh well i just think, i think that you know i think they would have been better getting somebody else yes um i think he i mean what i don't know is whether it's because he's a limited actor or it's because he was asked to play a limited role by the director i mean the director is 85 you know obviously one's not incapable at 85 of, of being a you know, in, an innovative and thoughtful individual, but I don't think really you could say that this uh, this was really held together by a commanding intellect able to, uh, as it were, match the challenge of depicting Napoleon.
0: Uh, if you had uh, the choice, who would you prefer to have played Napoleon? Oh. <laughs> Among that... the actors, that is.
1: Yeah, that's a very well. Actually, this is going to sound terrible. I do think if you're covering it from 1793 to 1821, which is what they depict, you need more than one actor, Well, you need to think about it in that way. Because the the figure of set the figure of the siege of Toulon, they depict with somebody of enormous energy, um, and dynamism. And interestingly enough, they could have made somewhat more of the. You know if they were looking at david of you know napoleon crossing the alps and all the rest of it um and that's very different from the man who is worn out i mean there's no two ways about it he is worn out as he in fact did say he would be worn out he's worn out by his campaigning by the latter the latter period certainly the last years of the period of emperor so for the later years i think you need a tired figure um, who is conscious of the fact that he cannot really grasp it anymore and has a kind of both militarily as at borodino and waterloo and in, in between at leipzig uh, but also politically as is his failure to handle Metternich's initiatives in 1813 and 14 um he has a fail you know he just can't cope anymore that's very different to the younger Napoleon who charges at things, I mean, by which I mean not literally always, but I mean metaphorically in his politics and in his international relations, in in Owen Connolly's point in his book Blundering to Glory, you know, the, the let's get onto the battlefield and then let's see what happens, as it Marengo and Jena. Um, and I think possibly you do need different actors to play those roles. There's certain or one actor who can some way cover those two very different situations. Now, by focusing on the relationship with Josephine, um, he doesn't do, uh, Scott doesn't do that. It's presented, as it were, as a kind of curiously needy, masochistic almost relationship on the part of Napoleon all the way through, as if he doesn't grow in the period, and as if their relationship doesn't change, and as if he wasn't having relations with other women, which, of course, he did
0: too. What about um, Olivier as Napoleon?
1: Oh, you mean actors who are already dead? Um, Yes, I mean, I think Olivier would have done that very well, because he had the ability to play both younger and older people. I mean, another person who would have be fascinating, who, of course, turns up in the 1970 film, but turns up as a very portly Louis XVIII, would have been a younger Orson Wells. Yes, precisely.
0: Good point, Jeremy. Uh, to conclude, do you believe that this film is one that people will be watching, say, 10 or 20 years
1: from now? I think they'll certainly watch that that film rather than the Four Hours Director's Cut, which apparently we're going to be visited upon us, and I think I won't be watching that. Um the difficulty we've got is a simple one, Charles. You and I are people of the book, as are most of our listeners, for fairly obvious reasons. But unfortunately these days, visual images capture much more of what is going on, and visual images do not Um, encourage context or complexity. So let's turn this one on its head. We currently are seeing two wars going on. There are other conflicts in the world in places like Sudan, but two wars going on in Ukraine and Gaza. You know as well as I do that you can read mature contextual understandings of them as well as obviously much less good work. But visually, you don't get that, do you? Visually, you get, as it were, a very noisy, crude, two-dimensional account of the war. And I suspect that's the problem we're, we're going to face in looking at history, current affairs, or speculation, at scholarship or analysis. The people are going to prefer the simplicities of the visual to the complexities of the written.
0: On that observation, which I would like to agree with entirely, I would like to thank you very much, Professor Black, for being so kind as to speak with us today. This is Charles Coutillo. You've been listening to New Books on Film, a podcast channel on New Books Network. Thank you, Professor Black, very much.
1: Thank you, and best wishes to all my friends in America and, more generally, for the 2024.